welcome to Genre Exposure, a film podcast. Join us as we explore the wide world of cinema, broaden our horizons one movie at a time. I'm one of your hosts, Dustin, and as usual, I'm here with Michael. Hello, everyone. And Jason. Hey, everybody. What's up, guys? How you doing? I threw you off, didn't I? Because I threw the everyone, and you're yeah, usually say you everyone, did. and it just, <laughs> I could feel you freeze. Uh-oh. What do I do? I think I recovered what nicely. Do do? Thank you. <laughs> I'm doing well, Dustin. How about yourself? Uh, I'm here. Yeah, yeah, another rough day at work, I think, huh? Yeah, it's been that way recently. Mm. Glad to talk about movies now. Yeah, movies are fun. Work isn't. Yeah, I tripped over a baby gate on my way here and cracked my head, so, you know, cool. <laughs> Bested by a baby gate. <laughs> it happens to the best yeah. of us. Um, at least you've got an excuse now when you don't remember the plot. Yeah, the movie, so. I have a concussion. I'm feeling very concussed. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> I fell over a baby gate. So today we are wrapping up our series about made-for-TV movies. Yes. We've got quite the hat trick going on because we are in a different country again, mm-hmm. in a different uh, decade, mm-hmm. and it's also another one based on a work of literature. Yep. So somehow we pulled off a, an amazing trio of connections. Interesting. Yeah. Picks. We didn't actually plan that, did we? No, no. no. Just no. a happy accident. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I picked Seance like day one when we brought up this idea. We're just that good. <laughs> We're that prepared. Um, yeah. But yeah, we're going to talk about uh, Seance by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. As he was the director. Uh, first, we're going to do all our usual stuff. Chat about movies we've been watching. And I've got a podcast shout out. Woot woot. Yeah. I need to make a, a graphic for this or like an audio graphic. <laughs> you mean like Dustin's a podcast shout out. <laughs> <laughs> Save that for when we go full daytime radio show. <laughs> Dustin's podcast shout out. Um, yes, we are part of the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, and we love it. We're so happy to be a part of it. There's all kinds of other cool podcasts out there, mm-hmm. and we're under no compulsion to shout all this out, but I wanted to, so I've been researching and looking at all our other fun network neighbors to see what they're about. So today I want to talk about the Rude Horror Podcast. Rude Horror I already love podcast. the name. Um, <laughs> despite the name, not that rude. Okay, all right. Uh, it's hosted by a guy who's called Marcus Rude, and he's actually... Pretty nice guy, based on the episodes I've listened to. Okay, I get it. Nice. Uh, A little play. Uh He's just uh, a lifelong horror fan. Um, I kind of connected with his little backstory to get into horror, because he was very terrified by Chucky at a young age. (laughs) So I was like, dude, I'm vibing with that. Um, And basically, he just wanted a podcast to talk about horror with people, and it's rapidly evolved into having a lot of guests on, which that's kind of the main feature is him like interviewing people and just chatting about horror, and if they're in the industry, their career and stuff. Cool. So the one I sampled that was very interesting to me, and I'm sure to you guys too, uh, was a recent one we had on uh, Sylvia Colatina. She was in The House by the Cemetery, Murder Rock, oh, and yeah. uh, was it The Great uh, Great Alligator um, by Martino. Mm-hmm. Okay, sweet. That's pretty fun. It was super fun. Uh, they had, She said on the episode it was her first time actually being on a podcast to be interviewed. Huh. So that's awesome that she's getting out of there. Um I don't remember who she plays in Murder Rock. I know it's a smaller role, a role, but in House by the Cemetery, she is um, the little girl in the wheelchairs. It may Froudstein. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Um, so it was super cool to hear from her and hear her perspective. Um, of course, he asked like what it was like to work with Fulci, which was very hilarious because <laughs> she said that um, he was very demanding and very like strict, but also she she could tell it came from a place of like respect like even though there were child actors there he considered them like if you're here to be in my movie 
you are like you know worthy of being treated as just like any other actor on <laughs> like the set. any other asshole <laughs> and that she really had that sense that like once they were done shooting he was like proud of the performance she nice. delivered so that was cool it's one of those things like you were just like the rest of us i don't know if i want to <laughs> be that can i have special <laughs> privileges here since oh. i'm a child I learned some fun things about House by the Cemetery I never knew. Like, actually, um, it's the one kill where it's like his arm comes out with the razor and he slashes the woman's throat. Mm -hmm. Um, That arm is actually Sylvia's arm. Oh. And they, like, doctored it up for the scene. That's cool. So she actually got to, like, pull the razor blade across the throat and stuff. Nice. And she talked about how that was, like, it was, like, this weird, like, funny kind of fun thing for her at the time. (laughs) Murder. (laughs) Uh Well, you know, it's all, it's all fantasy. Uh, Is it? Um, But, yeah, it was cool, because I don't, like I said, I don't think I've seen her at a lot of conventions Mm -hmm. or really, like, out there. Um, They're doing a new, or they may have already come out, like, a 4K of House by the Cemetery. And she mentioned she's in, like, a new, like, feature on that being interviewed and questioned, so... I'll have to get that one another look sometime. It was never my favorite of full cheese, but it has some moments. Yeah, when they talked about it, what they said that kind of struck me was the fact that it's more of like a gothic mm-hmm. horror kind of thing. And I think for me, it always gets off the rails because it comes after the beyond. Yeah. And when best. I compare those, it's like, ah. There's no comparison. It makes me feel weird, but yeah. yeah, super fun show. Go check it out. He has all kinds of interviews with lots of interesting people. I'm sure you'll find one that you want to listen to. Sweet. I always thought it would be cool to hear people interview not the main star of a film. Yeah, yeah that's know, why like, I really liked it. You mm-hmm. know, like, in, in almost every podcast that's, like, a major podcast, it's the same people mm-hmm. yeah. who kind of, like, float through podcasts, and you're like, okay, well, I've heard... I've, <laughs> I've heard, heard the inter- story. I've yeah, heard right. you interviewed twice, and I've heard the same story on each one. But, like, the perspective has to be so much different mm-hmm. for somebody who's literally, like, this is a big moment for them to be in this film you know, and it doesn't make them less of a star or anything. Like, they were still in the same movie, but mm-hmm. hearing their perspective, they're not the kind of people mm-hmm. who would get invited to a convention. Yeah. You know, whereas if you happen to get shot by someone in Walking Dead, apparently you can have a convention <laughs> booth now. So, uh, that's a whole other You know mess. that one episode, season three, uh, last, last five seconds of the third <laughs> episode? That's me right there. I'll sign your autograph for $50. <laughs> Oh, you know, another thing I really dug is after kind of the general interview, they just chatted about, like, horror films in general. <laughs> and I really liked it because she came out really hard in, like, support of Manhunter. Wow. Nice. Yeah, which nice. I, I love that movie, and I feel like it often gets forgotten yeah. amid the, yeah. uh, that's great. the Hannibal Lecter movies. That's a fun... I'm going to have to listen to that one because it's fun interview style. Mm. Nice. All right. So, Michael, what have you been watching? I actually really liked mine, so I wasn't sure if you wanted me to go first or if, I ne- if we needed to do a shit sandwich or something. Go for it. Okay. So I, I, I try not to fall for clickbait on, <laughs> uh, on the Facebook stuff, but I always do because I'm a sucker and I have no emotional control. Um, <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, but there was, they were, uh, one of those sites was talking about kind of the movies that are getting popular now through streaming that did terrible mm-hmm. um, at the box office. And there was one that caught my interest called Love and Monsters. From hmm. 2020, did you guys hear about it? I've heard the title. Yeah, the title rings a bell, but I can't really place it. So it is, I'll give you the synopsis. Seven years after he survived the monster apocalypse, lovable hapless Joel leaves his cozy underground bunker behind on a quest to reunite with his ex. So the basic premise of the film is like there's an asteroid that drops, 
and it has radioactivity that turns all the bugs into radioactive mutant monster bugs. Hmm. Well, hold on. Is this is this set in the Cloverfield universe? It's not. Okay, okay. It's really not. Had to check. Um, but everybody who's survived, like it's 95% of the planet's gone or something. Mm-hmm. So like everybody who survived pairs up into these colonies to try to survive underground because everything else is gone. Like all government's gone. These bugs have like killed everything. The only good bug is a dead bug. Um, you learn differently. Oh, really? In this film. Oh, <laughs> um, but the the movie was super quirky. Like the mm. comedy was it, it kicked off being really witty and quirky, and I was like, this seems familiar. Like the dialogue style feels familiar, so I looked it up, and it was written by a guy named Brian Duffield, who did the Babysitter movies for Netflix. Oh. Um, which has Jason's girlfriend in it, one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason, did you watch him? I watched the first one. You got to watch. You the didn't second care one. for it that much, did you? I liked it until it got dumb. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, watch the sequel. Number one, Jenna Ortega's in it. Number she two, she is another one of my girlfriends, so I probably should watch it. <laughs> number two, they take everything that's dumb about it and just crank it up to eleven. Oh God. <laughs> but it's the same writer and yeah. it really has the same kind of feel like that same mm-hmm. inner monologue quirky yeah, I like um, that style a lot I when, when I was watching this I was like Dustin would love this movie mm. or at least I think you'd like it I don't know if you'd love it but the monster design is really really fun uh, it's like they took regular bugs and just had fun thinking like well what would this be like if they got mutated by radioactivity and they're really well done the CG is great hmm. Apparently, this movie was supposed to be released in the theater. Was this a uh, COVID death kind of thing? Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. A COVID death. And mm-hmm. especially subject matter where half the planet is yeah. dead and yeah, like yeah, everybody goes yeah. underground. They it's were like... Bad timing. It was Paramount. And Paramount was like, <laughs> wow. well, shit. <laughs> so, and it also didn't star any main major people. Um, so, it didn't have any of that big attraction. So, they just kind of dumped it. Hmm. Uh, but it is now on Amazon Prime streaming. Uh, yes, if you pay for Prime. <laughs> free with Prime. It's free with Prime. Um, hey, it's got Michael Rooker in it. Yes, I was about to say, pleasant surprise. Michael Rooker showed up and I was like, I'll watch anything with Michael Rooker in it. I really don't care, including Walking Dead. I watched it until he was gone. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, he dies. He's like, I'm done now. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, I love this. It was so yeah. much fun. Mm-hmm. It was it was cute in that same way that babysitter stuff, the babysitter stuff was mm-hmm. like, it kind of tugs at your heartstrings a little bit, like with the schlubby dude trying to get the girl. I mean, I think we all kind of relate to that. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, yeah, hmm. whatever. I wonder uh, <laughs> what it must be like to be a, uh, never mind. Um, no, I had a ton of fun with it. Uh, also the, uh, female lead Amy is, um, Jessica Hinn. Henwick from Iron Fist. She was Colleen Chung. I don't remember Iron Fist, to Iron, be honest. Nobody does. I haven't seen Iron Fist. Uh, it's not very good. Okay. Uh, but she was way. also apparently in the new Matrix movie. I well. didn't watch that Ooh, either. That wasn't very good either. Uh, I'm just really selling her <laughs> career. Jessica Henwick. Is well, her it's name. not her fault. Well, you know, she this didn't... movie sounds pretty cool, though. Yeah. 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 And it, it's, it was a lot of fun. I cool. really enjoyed it. Uh-huh. It's easy to get to. Prime, Love and Monsters. I'll add that to my queue. I guess I should say it's directed by Michael Matthews, but I... Is he like a first-time director, newer director? Newer. Mm. There wasn't anything like directorial fantastic about the movie. It was more the writing that stood out for me, mm. so... 
you know, not to belittle his career or anything. But <laughs> sorry, buddy. <laughs> oh, well, no. if it's a good movie, I'm pretty sure the director had something to do with it. Yeah, I, <laughs> it was good. It was good. I'll, yeah, that's, that's what I'll go with. Okay. Cool. Nice. nice. All right. I guess I'll go next. Okay. Okay. Um, so I feel like I've failed a little bit because... You have. I've been covering a lot of more mainstream films when we've been doing this the last few episodes. Mm-hmm. And I remembered... We had the email from Cliffy, and I'm like, man, I'm failing Cliffy. Yeah, don't let Cliffy I, down. I got to get back in there with the Shaw Brothers box set. So this week, I've just like rapid fire, one a night. I've been shooting through these. Um, rapid Fire is a good movie. It's got Brandon Lee in it. That, True. Um, that was the movie that I was that I tried that I was watching a bunch of rated R movies, and I was like 12 or 13, and my mom <laughs> walked in at like a boob scene Ooh. in Rapid Fire, and she was like. How many of these movies that you're watching have boobs? And I was like, I don't think I should answer that question. <laughs> so the violence quotient was fine, but the boobs. Oh, yeah. I grew up always. in a very Christian that's, household, that's, so the violence is yeah. always fine, but boobs are off. That was my upbringing. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's Dustin. the way. Please, please go ahead. Um, so I'm going to rattle off a few that I'm just going to mention, just okay. because. But I've got one I really want to talk about. So I checked out uh, Challenge of the Masters. It was all right. That was like my least favorite of the bunch I went through. It's not that it was bad in any way. It just seemed like. It didn't have that like wow factor to differentiate itself among all the other martial arts films they've done. Yeah. Um, I checked out Five Shaolin Masters and its sort of prequel Shaolin Temple. Mm-hmm. I quite liked these Five Shaolin Masters. A lot of it's in these outdoor sets, where it was like a very different vibe from any of the other ones I've watched. Um, and it both it and then Shaolin Temple they really nail the like formula of the whole like you're doing training and building up, and then at the end of the film you have these incredible skills and martial art talent. Mm-hmm. And just some like crazy awesome good fights where there'll be like five different battles going on and they keep cutting between them. And it's like super hype, super fun. So love those. Cool. But my one I really want to dig on dig in on here is the mighty Peking Man. <laughs> your live tweets to or your live messages to us while you were watching this. Oh my god, yes, that amused very, you guys. <laughs> oh I, I was I was laying there laughing so hard at your live messaging. Uh, 1977. Uh, it was Shaw Brothers' take on doing like a King Kong riff. I'm sure in the wake of what was the 70s King Kong remake. Yeah. So they probably like shot right off of that. I think that was 76 when that came out. Yeah. So. Shaw Brothers, quick, quick, get a King Kong movie out. Fast track it. <laughs> um, it's everything you expect. It follows the basic plot. They find out about there's a there's a giant kaiju-sized uh, gorilla in the jungles in the middle of nowhere. They want to go get it, show it off, all that stuff. Every every King Kong and sequel and remake and ripoff is kind of all the same plot, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, you. They find out about it. There's some jungle stuff. They bring them back. Ultimately, he goes on a rampage in the city, mm-hmm. and then every film kind of picks their own stuff to fill in the middle, like the right. the, you know, the jelly and the donut. Um, I didn't expect that this one's would be a soft core version of Tarzan, because <laughs> 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 the majority of the whole like they're in the jungle trying to capture uh, this version of Kong, they have um, Evelyn Kraft, who's apparently only been in a handful of films. I was kind of surprised, and she's in the whole complete like torn bikini look going on Mm -hmm. and it's the exact plot of like she crashed out in the jungle and was kind of like raised among the animals and she has like a tiger friend and a cheetah friend nice and um yeah and there's just a lot of weirdness there okay all right um it's super fun all the like kaiju action is great it very much has that kind of toho vibe Mm -hmm. with like the miniatures and the sets and stuff and just the way it looks in execution isn't danny lee in that movie too that was one of his first ones Uh... Yes. From The Killer and a yeah, thousand yeah. He, other great... He plays the lead guy, I think, yeah. yeah. Um, 
yeah, they you know they get them, they bring them back to Hong Kong, they put them on display, things go south. Uh, the manager of the whole project gets kind of rapey Ooh. to the uh, Tarzan girl. Mm. Uh, Kong goes on a rampage. Everyone kind of dies at the end. Oh, wow. There you go. Good nice. time. Super fun. Completely ridiculous. <laughs> Sometimes those are the best, though. I think um, my favorite really thing that it. you messaged, though, was something about I didn't expect him to cut King Kong. <laughs> yes. Well, no, there's this awkward scene where, like, the main dude, he kind of starts to develop a thing with uh, Evelyn Kraft's character. I think... They call her Awe, I think's her name. And he starts to have like a thing for her, and she's kind of into him. But it also implies that like the Kong creature is into her. Mm-hmm. And then so there's this very awkward sex scene where they're like in a cave having sex. And the, the kaiju is just like right outside the cave staring in, watching them. And oh, then, and so then it's he the gets like peeking man. P-E-E-K-I-N-G. And then he gets like sad and goes off and like has a tantrum. Wow. <laughs> and I was like, what is this movie? <laughs> King Incel. <laughs> uh, that was my favorite message that you sent. Yeah, that I didn't expect him to cut King Kong. <laughs> super fun, super crazy. King Cook. Definitely worth a watch if you've never seen it. Awesome. Jason, what you got? Okay. I watched, it was kind of a, I don't know, sort of an experimental, narrative-free, almost like performance art film. A hippie. Mm. Jackass Forever. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> And okay. I laughed my ass off. I'm so bummed that I it was so wasn't able to come watch it. It was so funny. I'm not even usually that big into those types of movies. Like, I never watched the series when it was on. Oh, I did. I, I was didn't, I didn't like the pranks. Mm-hmm. The pranks always bother me, because I don't like when innocent people are like, you know. Um, uh, in high school, I was into the whole, like, skateboardy culture and all connected things. Okay. And so Jackass kind of just goes right in line with that. Yeah, it does. So you should go back and watch them, because uh, on the recent Jackass Forever press tour... Knoxville talked about that uh, everyone, everyone that was pranked, someone who what knew about it, yeah. that was their boss or somebody like, yeah, there was, someone was in on it. There was not. Well, there's like, no way to do half that shit without someone being in right. On like, it. and they made sure that everybody that was done something to was paid, That's and good. like they were compensated for it. That's like, good at least. So, <laughs> well, I like the movie, the new one, because it, it, there was like maybe one prank, and the rest was just them hurting themselves in horrible ways. <laughs> Horrible, mean, horrible ways. Really, those were always the best parts, anyways. So yeah, yeah, it was it was a blast. It was a great time. I, I recommend it highly. I recently saw the clip. Uh, I haven't seen it yet, but I saw the clip where they had like the punching things built into the coffee cart. Yeah. <laughs> I've seen that clip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the dude like he's like, no, actually, give him a coffee, and then it punches him. In the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's something about Jackass that. Mm. I think if you're a, maybe it's a dude thing. I, don't know. I mean, if if you're at all adverse to seeing male genitalia, especially um, damaged male genitalia, <laughs> you might want to give this one a skip. But you know, if that doesn't bother you, go for it. Go for it. So, what genre does this classify as? Huh. I think this would be the genre of uh, comedy. Comedy. Comedy art house. Maybe? Comedy art house. Comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Performance art. Yeah, comedy documentary. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, today we are talking about Seance, directed by Kyoshi Kurosawa. It is our final entry in our made for TV movie series. Where to begin? 
Um, perhaps you better start at the beginning. I think I want to start first talking a little bit about Kiyoshi Kurosawa because I love him. Okay. I do too. Okay. <laughs> Why did you get so angry about well, what, is it? That, is, it, is it okay that I enjoy his movies? Or yeah, I, don't, like a, I don't know. I'm okay. sorry. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, so we, we've been introduced to him before on the podcast because he had a role in Occult, which we covered last year. Yes. That was our little teaser for him, but now we're actually going to talk about his works. Um, first thing we should get clear out of the gate, he is not related to Akira Kurosawa. No. That comes up a lot, I guess just because of the names, but it's you know it's a more common last name in Japan. So You like that Smith guy around yeah. the corner? <laughs> yeah. You're a Smith, right? You're all Smiths? <laughs> Um, he got his start actually working in pink films, which I think is interesting. Did he do any scenes with the pool? I don't. Mm. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, Jason. Oh, okay. <laughs> you just broke Dustin's brain. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> I immediately started to answer. Um, notably, 1983, he directed Kendagawa Pervert Wars, which is an amazing title. Wow, Pervert Wars. Um, he had some other like theatrical works. In the 80s, but a lot of his like ramp up was doing V cinema films in the 90s, which we've talked about before. That was their direct to video kind of fair. Um, a lot of these were more crime related or Yakuza flicks, including he did uh, entries in the Suit Yourself or Shoot Yourself series, hmm. which is an amazing name for some crime movies. Uh, a few of his films I just wanted to highlight to throw out there just to get in the minds of people. Sure. Uh, in 1989, he directed Sweet Home with uh, Toho, and this was produced by Juzo Atami. And I think it's worth mentioning because it's a weird example of like kind of a bigger budget, like truly 80s style horror film from Japan. I love Sweet Home. I think yeah. it's great. It's incredibly fun. It's not really scary, but it's like it's almost like that Ghostbusters vibe of like it's fun it, and whimsical. I mean, there are parts that I think are a little scary. It's more atmospheric than yeah. anything. And Dick Smith does the special effects on it, and they're fucking amazing. Yeah, the truly amazing an actual good release because I can't find it anywhere. It does not. It's pretty much like bootleg fare. That's a crime. Down. That is a fucking crime. It's, you'll learn that with a lot of his filmography. You, you'll you'll talk about them and see these films and be like, why isn't this just like mm-hmm. readily available yeah. out there? And a fun like sub note to this: Sweet Home was like a big deal when it came out and it had a lot of merchandise and marketing. And part of its whole tie-in like marketing campaign is that Capcom made a video game for the Nintendo Entertainment System. And I thought it was worth mentioning just because that game was sort of like an explore the mansion, like haunted house kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And years later, they actually drew inspiration from it when they made Resident Evil. Yep. Uh, if you know the games, one of the big things they kind of used as like loading transitions was those doors like appearing and then slowly opening as it readied the next room. And that actually goes all the way back to Sweet Home. That was their transitions in that game. Wow, that's cool. So it's an awesome link that he has there. Yeah, this, movie's, this movie needs more love and attention. And we'll definitely talk about it one day when the right uh, topic rolls up. Uh, in 97, he got his first big international acclaim with Cure, which was a psychological horror crime thriller. Not to be confused with New Wave Goth Band. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, it's an amazing film. Super good. I think there's a UK Blu-ray out for this one. Nice. You can track down if you've got a region-free player. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, 2001, he directed Pulse. That's probably what most people are going to know him for. That's probably his best. Uh incredible j-horror film in 2006 during the j-horror boom here in america it got a terrible american remake i never even watched that piece of crap yeah you better off um i think that spawned like two sequels even which i haven't ventured that far um 2012 i wanted to mention this one just because i've seen it he did a five-part tv drama called penance 
Um, that actually has a like an America Blu-ray release. Huh? I think it streamed on something. Oh, so that does, but Sweet Home doesn't. Yeah. Okay. So you can actually check this out. It was a very interesting thing about like a group of kids, and when they're in elementary school, one girl dies. Like she gets abducted and murdered, and the other kids like have info about it and like see the killer, and they get nervous and afraid they're gonna get in trouble, and that like, they clam up and don't say anything about it. And then the mother gets like very angry at them and kind of says that she like puts a curse on them that because they've stayed silent, it'll come back on them. And then like each episode is one of the girls after she's grown up and some sort of misfortune happens that like draws them back to that incident. It sounds pretty cool. I'm gonna check that out. Really cool premise. And I thought it was worth mentioning here because it is like a little mini series. So it hits in that same vein of like the uh, like the stand and all of those Stephen King like made for TV miniseries we're talking about. Nice. Um, and then the last one I think that's super worth mentioning is his latest work, Wife of a Spy, from 2020. That's a historical drama romance that made a lot of acclaim, and it was actually a television film made for the NHK. And I think Netflix has streaming rights for it. It might already be on there. I'm not 100% on that. Hmm. But when I was doing some research, I saw that pop up. Nice. So, yeah. Excellent. A few films by him to go... Peek at if you've checked this out and yeah, dig definitely it. check out Pulse. If if you if you can only watch one of his films, watch mm-hmm. Pulse. Still have, super relevant today. I've not seen hardly any J horror because you're too scared of it. I kind of was for a while. Or I remember that's why you wouldn't watch them. <laughs> they still get me like the Grudge for definitely for sure. I got hurt one time at, like at a job that I was on, and like emotionally or physically, both actually on that one. <laughs> um, but we went to visit Adam. And you guys always went to the now defunct but amazing video store in Louisville, Kentucky uh, called Wild and Wooly. R.I.P. Wild and Wooly. And they had like everything. They were like us. It was like your house but for rent. <laughs> like, And I remember... Yeah, it was our mecca for a long time. Jason and Adam would spend like an hour looking for something. And I was like super hopped up on painkillers and they were watching Dark Water. Um. And... Uh, you watched Dark Water and One Missed Call in the same nice. night. That's a good double bill. Yeah, nice. and I was laying there like half in and half out and like <laughs> tripping balls and just, it was really fucking trippy and it like was even scarier than it was <laughs> otherwise <laughs> because I didn't know what was going on and I was just drifting in and out. Nice. <laughs> I still vividly remember that because it terrified the shit out of <laughs> That's me. That's hilarious. I was like, I'm never watching those movies. One Missed Call was in Nakata too, right? That was uh, Mike, wasn't it? Yeah, it was me. Oh, that was yeah. me, Kay. My Jesus, yeah. Jason. Yeah. You're, I'm sorry. Even I knew that. In my <laughs> drugged out state, I knew that. <laughs> <laughs> this one's crazy. It's got to be me, Kay. Um, So, Seance. Aired in 2000 on Kansai TV, also known as the Kansai Telecasting Corporation, or Kontele for short. I'll hit you with the synopsis. Mm-hmm. A psychic housewife and her husband become burdened with a kidnapped girl who escaped her assailant. Junko will not let her husband call the hospital or the police for purely selfish reasons. The girl dies while still in their house, and then her ghost begins to haunt the couple. That gives away way too much of the Which plot. is a terrible synopsis because it kind of gives away everything. Hey, those of you that just heard that, ignore it. <laughs> no, episode's done. Good night, Good night everybody. Good night. <laughs> Goodbye. Not like 30, we're about to spoil it anyway. 30 but. minutes. Shortest episode yet. <laughs> um, it's based on a 1961 novel, Seance on a Wet Afternoon, written by Mark McShane. And it also got adapted into a film in 1964 with that same title. Now, have you seen that film? I have not, but I did do copious research about the novel. So we could compare and contrast later. Cool. I do want to watch the, um, the original film sometime. 
I do know that uh, Kurosawa talked about the other film. Uh, he didn't see it at the time he made his version. Didn't he like not know it even existed? He didn't even know it existed. Yeah. He just knew about the book. And later, afterwards, he went back and watched it. And he said, uh, I thought it was very interesting. And it was also very faithful to the original novel. And kind of implied that uh, the ghostly aspects that are in this one are less overt. That's something I kind of want to talk about. In the original we'll go story. through this movie, yeah. Which is definitely something we got to talk about. Mm-hmm. So when it opens... Well, we'll establish this first. What uh, genre is this? I believe this would be horror. You believe? Supernatural horror. I think it has a lot of thriller elements, too. There are thriller elements, yeah. It just depends. Do you want it to win an award? Because if you want it to win an award, <laughs> it would be a you call it a thriller. If you don't give a shit, it's horror. Thriller, horror, <laughs> crime, supernatural. Yeah. Um, I actually have a fun thing about that, too. Um when they produced this thing, Kurosawa insisted that they shoot it on film. And he said the reason why is that he was hoping that after... It doesn't it, look like dog shit. Well, he said he hoped after it aired that film festivals would come and ask to screen it. And luckily that was what happened. Um, but he knew that wasn't like a normal TV drama situation. He kind of just got lucky that they let it pass and fly that way. Nice. That's a commonality that all of our films have. They were yep. all shot on 35mm. Which kind of bucks the trend for a lot of made-for-TV movies. Yeah, but I mean, God, that's the way it should be. Uh, I mean, if you have money. <laughs> yeah, that's the way it should be. <laughs> Otherwise, they're like, figure it out, man. It's like a corner. Yeah, I mean, just compare, like, even this movie, Seance, to something like, oh, I'm going to go, oh, Rose Matter, that TV movie, the Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. It mm. looks like. Barf on the dog red. turd. Whichever, I don't know. They're the same damn. I don't know which which one is it. I don't know. Rose red, Rose matter. I think it's those Rose are two red. different ones, aren't they? Rose red was a TV one. Rose matter was another book he wrote. Rose red was the miniseries. It was basically the haunting, but his yeah, version. but not good. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it looks like Woo! shit. Is my Woo! point. Whereas this movie looks awesome. Pew, pew, pew. Hey, okay. Um, if anyone really wants to die on that hill, come at me. <laughs> You're going to get some hate mail. Jason's planting the flag. Who wants to fight about Rose Red? Right in. Talk to us. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad we found a movie that you're like, ah, oh, just stuck on. It's amazing. Uh, so Seance opens, and we've got this graduate student talking to his professor, and he's clearly working on some kind of project or paper, and they're sort of like talking about the intricacies of that. Mm-hmm. Um. And I found this opening to be a little misleading. Like, I think it's intentionally so. Mm-hmm. It's just not a very traditional type of opening. Because you're thinking this guy is going to be our lead character. And he really <laughs> isn't. <laughs> He's very ancillary to everything that goes on. Yeah. Uh, but they're talking about different, like, psychic research studies and supernatural things. Mediumship. Doppelgangers. Um, yeah. Doppelgangers. Um, and it seems like, yeah, he's just researching the paranormal, it seems like. But they're, they're clearly psychologists. They set that up. Mm-hmm. Um, while this is going on, it keeps cutting to like a waiting room with benches. Mm-hmm. And I love this scene because when it first comes in, the room is like empty. And you think you see a person at the back of the room near the door. But it's kind of hard to make out and you can't really see very clearly. And it almost it immediately has that like J-horror vibe of like, is there something there yeah. or isn't there? Yeah. And what we later see is that is uh, Junko Sato, our main character. Played by uh, Jun Fubuki. Mm-hmm. And she's just kind of there hanging out waiting for this grad student who is, uh, I believe, Hayakawa. Uh, Hayasaka? Hayasaka, yeah, Hayasaka. Hayasaka is his name. 
Yeah, she's holding a... It looks like a compact or something. Mm -hmm. Like some old antique compact. And there's some subtle weirdness where it seems like something's happening with her, but we don't really know. We see some cold air come out when she breathes. You do distinctly see a shape behind her at one point. Mm -hmm. Kind of in the corner of the room. Yeah. Um, eventually, Hayasaka comes out to speak with her and sort of explains that his uh, the professor that he works with is like not so keen on this research and doesn't really want to meet with her. And then they kind of talk about this compact because he asks her if she sensed anything mm -hmm. from it. And was it we learned that uh, that belonged to, was it his grandmother? His grandmother. His grandmother that passed away. Mm -hmm. And she says something about how it was, was it a bad death or a violent death or something like that? And he says, mm -hmm. yeah, she committed suicide. That's how it always goes in J-horror. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's either suicide or a ghost, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I think immediately it sets an interesting distinction because they've shown us clearly supernatural things. But then the way she talks to him on the reading of the compact, it's very much that sort of like the showmanship style of mediumship mm -hmm. where like... The whole code reading thing. Yeah, she's doing like guided questions to kind of like jump to yeah. the answers. Like that asshole who had that TV show. What was that dude's name? He'd talk to the dad for you and mm -hmm. stuff. Anyway. Irrelevant. Uh, Irrelevant. I, I do know what you're talking about. Right. I just don't remember the prick's name, but it's okay. <laughs> um, but she heads home. We meet some other characters. Um, notably, there's Koji. Or no, no, Sato. Sato. Koji Sato. Koji Sato, yep. Yeah, he's um, a, a sound tech. Names. Yeah, he's a sound tech. I loved all the scenes with him at his job. <laughs> yeah. They're just like, do you have a jet plane? Or first it's like, do you have an airplane? It's like, no, it needs to be higher pitched like a jet plane. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it kind of just establishes his life. He works at some sort of, you know... It's like a university or something. I don't yeah. know. They're working on documentaries. I know they mentioned that. Oh, okay, yeah. And yeah, he's just a sound guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we're introduced to him. He's got this big trunk that he packs around. That's definitely going to be important later. Mm -hmm. Camera lingers on it a little bit. Yep. Remember this trunk? <laughs> Some good setup. He goes home and his wife is having a session with someone. She's mm -hmm. doing a little mini seance, I guess you would call it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the room is dimmed and he kind of walks in and just goes off on his own. This is clearly something that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah, he just leaves. He's like, okay. <laughs> all right, I'll, doing her thing. Don't worry. I'll just and be in the... Don't mind the farting over here. Just be in the corner. At the at the one part, like she ducks out for a minute and sees him. And she's like, oh, sorry, I've got someone... And she's just like, there's pizza in the fridge. And he's just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that scene was very awkward for me because I was like, I can't tell if they like each other. Uh, if this is something that he's had a conversation with her about, like, can you warn me? Like, before you do a seance. like, like Put a tie and, on a door or something. Yeah, before you do a seance and I accidentally walk in on it and it's super fucking awkward. Could you just do something? <laughs> yeah, so he, he goes to this like, back room and lays down. Mm -hmm. And at one point you see his breath, too. Yep, so, and you know, it's while the up. seance is going it's on. It's kind of a sixth sense sort of thing, I mm -hmm. think. No ghost around, it gets cold or something. Uh, but her seance for this woman, she's trying to contact what's a, it's a deceased husband, right? Or a boyfriend or something. Yeah, 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 boyfriend, husband, something. A lover. And she's worried about moving on, how he'll feel. Mm -hmm. And it's very much that, like, the whole, like, seeking comfort kind of thing. Yeah, and this could easily be something that, you know, a, a Shan medium would do, you know. Because, <laughs> again, she says she's going to channel him, and she kind of just, like, bows her head for a little bit. Yeah, like, it's not, she couldn't perform. Mm -hmm. You know, so it, it can't always, you know, <laughs> it can't always just make it happen. So I do have a question about that. Yeah, huh This is not related to the movie, but it's about what you said. <laughs> about not being able to perform? No. <laughs> I mean, they make drugs for that, yeah, now, you know. Isolate that. Have you yeah. tried pornography? <laughs> 
So when Role you play. say it's a sham medium, a sham medium, sure. The proper thing for someone to do would be to go on with their life. They're the one that's living. They're the ones that need to find comfort in the rest of their life. Mm-hmm. So does it make the medium a sham if they give them the push that they need to do what they need to do? There's a lot of mediums that argue that's kind of their point is that they give comfort to people. That's what psychologists are for. Yeah. And and educated counselors, not people who propagate ignorance. And This is true, but doesn't religion give you the same false hope? Yep. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. Yikes. Well, I mean, like, but not, I'm not knocking. Yeah, anyone. but a religion also shouldn't charge you. I'm not knocking anyone you know, that does fine. If you're paying for your religion, someone's doing it wrong. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to give 10%. <laughs> you're supposed to, like, you're missing the point, Jason. You're no, I'm this. actually not, but, you know, whatever. So, I, I mean,. Yeah, I guess. I think tithing is a choice. You don't have to. I guess they're not going to say get out of church if you don't tithe. That, that depends on the people who run the church. I guess under yeah. the guys, I guess if you were specifically lying to them in order to comfort them, I guess that is in a very moral gray area. But mm. yeah, sorry. I don't like it. Is my point. But anyway, I, I digress. I do. I do enjoy a lot of paranormal topics. Uh huh. Um. So I will say on this, I think this kind of mediumship is like it's so hard to cut that line of like what's legit and what's not. And can you ever even know or prove? And I think that's yes. something, <laughs> I think that's something the film wants you to think about as you're watching it. Yeah. And that's one thing I'll just go ahead and say it. I kind of wish the movie was a bit more ambiguous. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been a little bit more interesting, but anyway, please okay. let us continue. So we get a sense of their, the Sato's home life. Uh, the very, very like cold, <laughs> weird. Well, it's comfortable. It's, it's normal. It's like what, um, Koji says later is that there's no one more ordinary than they are. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he just kind of except works. most people's wives aren't psychic. <laughs> he kind of just works his job. She's wanting to make a God. Mo- I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the very same thing, <laughs> yeah. hoping that our wives aren't psychic. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> um, she kind of seems to want to make this whole seance stuff like a business. Yeah, but it's clearly not going that great. Mm-hmm. And one of the first incidents we have is that she decides that she's going to get a job at like a diner mm-hmm. just to kind of help out with the finances and stuff. Yep. And we also get a quick scene of a predator on the playground who v- approaches very this little girl scene, yeah. wearing a green dress with probably like the greatest. I mean, if you're going to abduct someone, you may as well ask this. The brass balls on this guy. Is like... your family rich? <laughs> <laughs> Well, he doesn't want to waste his time. Right. You know? You know, he doesn't want to get a poor kid. His family can't pay up. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I need to know, like, what, what kind of car do your parents drive? <laughs> You're not aware of their financial situation. What kind of house do you live in? Yeah. But then, yeah, at this playground, just in broad daylight, and there's other kids there and everything, he just tells her, like, oh, your mom's at the hospital. She's been hurt. I'm Classic. Gonna, I'm going to take you yeah. to her. Come with me. Isn't yeah. that how most abductions happen, though? Yeah, I know. It's, it's crazy that to, that feeling of how that happens. It's yeah. like, sure. holy shit, man. We yeah. saw how it happened in Poughkeepsie Tapes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that was a real documentary made in real time. Yeah, of course it is. They have a dismemberment <laughs> expert. <laughs> you don't make a yeah, documentary. Yeah, you can't, you can't fake that. That's not the sort of thing you would just make up. <laughs> Next you're going to... Oh, God. Blair Witch wasn't real either. Oh Fuck my God. Jason, man. <laughs> yeah, I'm, so he gets the girl. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm just going to cut this episode off. <laughs> you're just being an asshole. He takes off with the girl who he hopes has, has a rich family to take off in the car. Mm-hmm. 
And then the next day, I think Juko's working at a restaurant, right? Yep. Now she's at the restaurant. This is a pretty cool scene. I like this scene a lot. A businessman <laughs> comes in. He very like aggressively hits a, gets set to a table. Yeah, you can tell he's an asshole right away. Folds out all his stuff, covers the whole table with papers. Yeah. It's like very short with everyone. He's your typical Japanese asshole businessman. <laughs> and what Junko starts to notice is there's a woman in the booth with him. I actually busted out laughing at this scene just because the way it plays. Like... She's getting him his coffee and everything, and comes back, and then like, there's the woman. Mm-hmm. It's like I just imagine her being like, "Is she going to order? Like, <laughs> what she, would you like, Miss? Would you like coffee too? I wasn't aware that this was a booth for two, but okay." <laughs> well, I mean, her face is like her eyes are like invisible, mm-hmm. like they're not yeah. there. It's all fuzzy, and, and it's got the whole J horror. Like at first, it's the long hair over the face; yeah. you can't really make it out. But this entity seems to just be stalking this businessman, mm-hmm. connected to him. You get the impression that perhaps he murdered her or something. I like the vagary of it because it's like, is this just uh, just randomly haunting him? Did he do something? Mm-hmm. Like, what's the source of this? And we never know, but it unsettles Junko. Yeah. And she ends up quitting. She can't take it. It seems like if she's just going to be out somewhere, this is just a thing that's going to happen mm-hmm. no matter what she does. Right. Makes it hard to work. It's interesting because it... I don't... I like the way that scene works because you don't necessarily see anything nefarious happening... Mm-hmm. Like between that spirit and this yeah, guy, right. it's just it's all that, inference. Yeah. It, but it's also just that connection that whatever he's done, mm-hmm. that he's taking this with him through his through the rest of his life. Oh, she's yeah. definitely some mistress or something that he had killed. <laughs> well, you're uh, inferring. I got this whole backstory. You can take it. You can take it a lot of ways. Yeah, that's, that's what's good about it. But it's it's. I thought that's one of the things that was interesting about this is it's not always a haunting. Mm-hmm. Like I don't get the impression that she was so much as haunting this man. As so much as her essence was now attached to him, mm-hmm. that isn't, isn't that haunting? Yes, but it depends on what the what the spirit's doing to you. Like, is it haunting you or is it just attached to you forever? Just there, because okay. to me, a haunting's like an active. Yeah, like the spirit is doing something to try to get a result. Yeah, this is, and it's almost that's almost creepier to me. Like mm-hmm. that, it's just always there. That you're never. I could get really super like it's like thetans. <laughs> yeah, I could get really into <laughs> oh my god into like how that plays psychologically, mm-hmm. but how that plays into the into that character's reactions too, and how he treats everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know that he'll never be free of that. Right. Maybe that's why he's so mad and 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 terse with people is because he's being haunted. Well, he can't actually get a waitress to not spill coffee on him. So. <laughs> <laughs> he's got important business papers and she's trying papers. to spill coffee business papers. Uh, but it's a scene that to me it highlights a lot of what i love about his filmmaking style because i think he'll be very subtle in a lot of scenes and in that little like subtle moment he actually says a lot in the end when you get through it there's a whole lot of this movie that actually reminded me of um a cult hmm. like i think they would make a really fun double bill I could see that, yeah. Because a cult almost has that same, these things are attached to you. Yeah. Sort of a thing. You know, like, they may not be trying to harm you, but they you are connected now. Yeah, at least this movie doesn't have any questionable CG <laughs> at the end. Well, and a cult, too, has that question of, you know, is it real or not? Yeah. Through a lot of the film. So, <laughs> so yeah, the diner doesn't work out. She's kind of back to square one. And we see Koji back at work. And his co-worker... Here's something weird on the tape. Mm-hmm. The, the one that he took to home. Yeah. Right. While and the this, seance was going on. While the seance was going on. 
and you can't really hear what it's what it is, but it's like some voice. <laughs> the the guy that notices it thinks it's mumbling. It's EVP. <laughs> and almost like it almost makes that suggestion of like could yeah. it be EVP, right? But Koji just writes it off and says, uh, probably just like picked up some ambient noise, yeah, CB radio, yeah, CB yeah. radio or something. Some truckers out there. Breaker, breaker, one nine, buddy. <laughs> and he basically oh, yeah. he basically says like, yeah, I can scrub it out. It won't be a big deal. Uh-huh. That would be such a great, like, parody moment. <laughs> like, you're picking, I think I hear something. Break it, breaker, one night. You got Jerry Reed on the soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think it's in this earlier part, and it might have already happened before the diner scenes, but one of their scenes at home I really liked, uh, he's just about to leave for work, and he mentions to Junko that his documentary is going to air that he worked on, and he, he won't be able to watch it because he's going to be stuck at work, and he wonders if she will, just mm-hmm. to tell him how it goes. And he says that he's, like, really proud of his sound design, but they're not going to be able to hear it because they just have like a little crappy TV. Yeah, and she's like, "Well, let's buy a new one." I'm like, no. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can tell they're, they don't they uh, don't have the most money. I don't know. They got a around. huge house. I mean, it's a pretty big house from what you see in most Japanese films. It's like a mansion. Of course, I guess they're not in Tokyo or something either. Maybe they you know, inherited that house. It's more rural, I guess. Yeah, it could why don't be you like a family house? Why don't you infer a lot onto their personal finances, Jason? <laughs> well, excuse the fuck out of me. <laughs> This episode's going to end with me and Jason just fighting on the table, I think, rolling around. I think in Michael's table. defense, there's scenes later that support the idea that they're not doing so great financially. This is true. This is true. You're right. And maybe and, I'm just projecting backwards. And it's, it's obviously is a rural area, so the, the prices supporting aren't that crazy high either. Jason's going to break down into uh, Japanese real estate exposure. Yeah. Let me look at the numbers so here. It's our 2000. Two, our two kind of stories here, the Satos and this abducted girl, kind of crashed together. When um, Hayasaka comes to Junko and kind of wants to involve her with the police, it's sort of like a, can her mediumship help them get a break in the case? Mm-hmm. I've seen that on TV before. Yes, it's a common common story. Yeah. I think uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt was in that, right? <laughs> the ghost was Well, there. before this, though, is the one pivotal thing that happens while Koji's out uh, recording sound out in the forest. Mm, I like that yeah. scene a lot. Is when the little girl has obviously escaped her abductor. He's chasing after her. She comes along and she sees Koji, but she doesn't say anything. I guess for some reason she's mistrustful of you know men. She now. might just be afraid to make a sound. Yeah. So then she goes and crawls in his big equipment case. That's such a fun scene. Just the way it's left sitting there. Yeah. And then you just see the case like. Wow, Zach, you realize I'm making wobbling motions, <laughs> yeah. and this is a podcast. And they've already kind of set up that he lugs this thing everywhere, so when he goes to leave, he just locks it up and throws it in the truck. Mm-hmm. I guess she's scared, yeah. still, you know, being quiet, doesn't want to say anything, doesn't know what's going on. Trauma. So, so it's one of those, like, this is where I really got, like, the TV thriller thing, where there's, like, this dramatic mishap It's like Hitchcock's bomb yeah. under the table, you know, something is going to happen, they don't know about it, but we do. So Junko agrees to help the police... And mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things, like, this is her big break if she can... they have caught the ki- the kidnapper. They yeah. have him in custody. Right. And then they go to Junko for help. Yes. Yeah, to find the kid, because he, he doesn't know where the kid is. Um, And this is, like, her big break, right? Because if she can do this, she'll be famous. Yeah, they'll actually acknowledge her powers. Mm-hmm. Business will take off. It, it'll fix all their problems. Right. So then there's a, a, there's a great scene of them, like, back in the house, and the kid's in the trunk, and, like, they don't know. Mm-hmm. I really liked the sort of like the tension. It, it is the, what you're saying, the Hitchcock yeah, thing. Like right. we know it's there. Uh, they cut back to the trunk yeah. every now and then. Yeah. And she, I mean, it's, the, it's a good couple of days before they get back to the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And the next day, uh, Tazaki, Koji's co-worker, who complained about those weird sounds, he doesn't show up at work. Mm-hmm. And this kind of doesn't go anywhere. Like, this is a plot thread that kind of stops here. But it's also kind of interesting, because it's like, whatever he heard freaked him out so much. He didn't want to come back. Yeah. yeah. Or he just fucking hated his job. <laughs> I know, he seemed to like it okay. Now who's reading extra <laughs> yeah. stuff in the plot? <laughs> yeah, maybe you hate your job, huh? I mean, I don't have a job. Oh, right. I mean, I hate mine, but I just assumed it was the sound on the tape. (laughs) That seemed more relevant to the story. Yeah. (laughs) There was actually some uh, administrative drama happening that he couldn't take anymore. And he was like, yes, it coincided with the sound. that tape just was a straw that broke the camel's back. But what you didn't see was that upper management came down like an hour later and changed his benefits. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Um, So eventually they discover the kid. Was it they hear they hear noises right? And I think that's what draws um, draws them to the trunk. Well, it's a couple of things that happen too. Is that uh, Junko has a conversation with Koji about how she wants something fun to happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she says like nothing fun ever happens for yeah, us. Yeah, and you get that reinforcement that they're in a rut or whatever, and just kind of bored. And I think she gets a feeling that there's something in the trunk because she goes to it. Oh, wait, there's that neat scene of, like, she's in the Yeah, the light room, and the shadows. And you, the camera shows, like, behind her, out the door through the hallway is, like, the rest of the house. And mm-hmm. it's completely pitch black. And then, like, slowly it illuminates to be, like, a bright light back there. And then it dims yeah, again. Yeah, like it's trying to get her attention or something. Mm-hmm. I like that scene quite a bit. Yeah. And then, yeah, he opens the case and the girl's in there and they freak. As you would. And it's an amazing, like, freak out, too, because they immediately jump to, like, she's dead, she's dead, and they, mm-hmm. we gotta call, uh, call the police, no, call the hospital first. Yeah, then they stop, and they're like, well, what are we gonna tell them? Mm-hmm. So that's mistake number one <laughs> <laughs> that this couple makes. Yeah. <clears throat> and it's, but what, what are you gonna actually tell them? So I have this case, it's gonna sound weird. Well, they've got the perp in custody. You, you say, hey, I was out there recording sounds. I had my equipment. I had my box. The girl obviously climbed in there. That doesn't... That's not going to fly that well. It's, it's better than trying to do what they do. <laughs> it, it is the truth, though, so I don't know. Truth will set you free. Yeah, that's what they say. Um, they're discussing it. Yeah, they're discussing it. And then they kind of check the kid, and the kid's okay, actually. Yeah, she's climbing yeah. up the steps. And you get the impression, because it's almost like a Ringu thing at first. Because yeah. she's kind of crawling with her hair down. You're like, oh, fuck, she's already dead and haunting him or something. But she's still alive. Mm-hmm. And so this is where we... Koji still is very much like, you know, we need to report this, turn her over, be done with this. And this is where Junko gets this wild idea. Mistake number two. Mistake number two. She decides that they should just keep the kid a little while and let her whole medium thing play out with the police. See, it's even better now that the girl's alive because she can say, yes, I crawled into this case. Yeah. These people can, saved me. She can affirm their story. That's where, that's when you definitely call the authorities. And I you, don't know, man. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, come on, Michael. Well, they're going to say, oh, the kid can't speak for itself. and what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... I'm just, I'm trying to piss Jason off now, just <laughs> enough to get him to throw something at me. So, yeah, that's, Junko wants to do this whole, like, play the medium thing out, we'll orchestrate them finding the kid, and then that'll still achieve my goal, and Koji's super against it, and she kind of <laughs> nails him on this point of, like, mm-hmm. let me have a dream just for once. Yeah. Oh, that's... And that kind of hurts him in a way that he reluctantly 
gives in. Yep. Well, it's a low blow. Oh, yeah. very. It's very. She, a, she's saying, "Hey, I'm not happy here. We're, you know, this is just okay. You're fine. We're eating cold pizza. <laughs> What's wrong with cold pizza? <laughs> Nothing. Fuck. That's a good time. <laughs> yeah, she totally guilt trips him. Did you wonder what Japanese pizza was like when they started talking about it? No, I did. Like, like did you something? It's got like wasabi sauce on no, it. No, I just wondered. Like, I just want to try. Like, I want to go to a Japanese pizza joint now. There's a really big chain. What's it called? Like Pizza Law, I think, in Japan. I just want to know, like, how does it compare to American pizza? How does it compare to Italian pizza? If we have any Japanese listeners, <laughs> listeners out there, please let us know. No, we what lost them on like. the Pinku episode. No, we gained some. Oh, I betcha. Come on. They were like, the Japanese are cool. <laughs> they were like, uh oh, <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> nah, nah, nah. They uh, like that stuff. Um, so they kind of stash the kid upstairs. <laughs> yeah, and she wakes up and sees Koji and starts screaming her head off because she's probably like, oh, you know, this person's abducted me. Maybe the same guy. Maybe someone else. I don't know. And he does not handle it well. <laughs> no, he, uh, he just wants her to be quiet. Yeah. And he's <laughs> and basically you know like just... laying on top of her and like smothering her to make her quiet. Uh, which makes her pass out. Yeah. Puts her in a sleeper hole. That's <laughs> really uncalled for. Is that not how you guys keep your children quiet? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. Michael, do we need to make some calls after this episode? Yeah, I'm a little worried here. <laughs> oh, God. Uh. So this episode's off the rails. Phase one of the plan: they're gonna plant her <laughs> shoes somewhere to kind of begin the process of like the medium ship is working. Yep, she'll say, "Oh, I, you know, I sent something there, something that belonged to the girl. Perhaps they go look and they'll, they'll find the shoes." Is what she's thinking, right? So they look up and find an abandoned factory, kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Drive out there late at night, plant the shoes, and then here's point three, Jason, to your thing. They're just holding the shoes in their bare hands. Yep, sure. Their DNA is all the fuck over this mm-hmm. entire situation. Yep. And also, Koji admits <laughs> that the girl saw his face yeah. and will ruin their plans. <laughs> and, and Junko freaks out. Why didn't you tell me that? Um, which is interesting. After we finish like our main stuff, we're going to talk about the novel, too. Okay. The differences here are very interesting to me, now that I know the plot of the novel. Okay. So yeah, they plant the shoes, she tells the police, they go, they find the shoes. Well, they, they say they're going to take the girl to the hospital that night, too. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking she won't really remember anything. And I guess they're planning on like, oh, she somehow wandered into this hospital after being in this old building. Yeah. Yeah. Because she even tells the inspector that she has a feeling that she's going to be found alive, that she's still alive. Mm-hmm. However, is that things, mistake number three? I think was I we're up to like ten now. Yeah, they're they're done on the mistake. <laughs> um, however, things don't go to plan because the police show up at their house while the girl's still there. While the girl's still there, they haven't had time to. They were going to do that the next night. Mm-hmm. They haven't had a chance to work that out yet, and they're just doing the police thing of asking questions. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because you get a bit from uh, Hayasaka too about like. He asks her some like more pressing questions, and she's kind of surprised. And he's like, "Well, I am a psychologist. I notice things." Yeah, like you're being awful aggressive and telling us about these shoes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and just comparing to her like prior sessions with him, she's like much more like, "I know it. I know this on yeah. the spot." Da da da. Um, and so while they're talking to her, and she's kind of trying to do the whole medium thing again, Koji is upstairs with the kid. Trying to keep her quiet. Trying to keep her quiet. By smothering her. Because she wakes up and starts to scream. Mm-hmm. And so he grabs a pillow, shoves it on her face. 
they're starting to leave and end their conversation. And it's just this very tense moment of like, they're, they're ending the conversation. They're going out and it keeps cutting back upstairs mm-hmm. and he's literally choking her to death. And it's like, will this resolve soon enough? Right. And it doesn't. A spoiler. It doesn't. Spoiler. It doesn't. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. They, they choke her to death. Mm-hmm. And he says she's sleeping, which he probably thought she really was. Mm-hmm. Well, she did the first time. Yeah. She yeah. sleeps. She's a good sleeper. I tell you. Um, <laughs> and that night, the power goes out mm-hmm. and they go to investigate to, to check on the girl and the window. Okay. This is where I got a little confused because the window's open, right? Mm-hmm. And the girl's on the floor now. Yeah. Was she trying to get out the window? Was she still alive and like fell or something? Think, or was like a supernatural thing? Like she's dead. I think it was the implication. She was trying to climb out of the window and fell. Right. So maybe it wasn't technically Koji who killed her. And that's one flaw I think in the film is there's a little too much of like Yeah. Did they don't they with this part? Right. It should have been more obvious, more direct. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, she's dead. Plan has totally gone awry. Yep. They have a big dramatic fallout, and there was a line I wrote down because I really loved it here. Where she's worried about like what are they gonna do? How are they gonna work this out? And he tells her She's like trying to like still keep the story going somehow with the police. <coughs> Sorry. And he tells her, "You had your dream. It's time to get back to living. It's all we have." Mm-hmm. And that was like, "Oh, that's such a powerful moment." Yep, it is. That the whole situation like comes full circle back to that. Yep. So they take the girl out and bury her in the woods. Like you do. As you do. God damn. And again, no gloves, no... Yeah. Don't wrap her up or anything. These aren't professional killers, man. Obviously. Which, when she first baits the plan, one of the things he tells her is, we can't beat the police. There's no way you're going to outsmart them. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, no, it'll be perfect. Right. We, we, we can do this. Fucking psychics, man. <laughs> <laughs> is that our takeaway from this episode? I Jason, think it is. Jason hates psychics. <laughs> hates psychics. <laughs> Clearly. Um... And immediately the haunting starts. Oh, yeah. Shit goes crazy. Jim goes home the next day, and yeah, the girl's spirit appears. Mm-hmm. It's kind of creepy when she's just standing in the corner, too. I like that. Yeah, just out of frame, kind of. Mm-hmm. Very effective, very classic, like, J-horror, ring the grudge <laughs> kind of vibe. And, and, and um, Junko just kind of matter-of-factly mentions this to Koji when he gets home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, we're being haunted now. And then what they decide to do a thing where they're going out to eat at like random places they don't normally go to. Yeah, they go to a hotel and yeah. stuff. Um, and one of my favorite scenes in the film happens here where I think Junko's staying at the hotel and Koji goes back to their house. And he's doing different stuff and then he goes into the backyard and he sees seemingly his doppelganger sitting there mm-hmm. in one of the lawn chairs. Yeah. And it really messes with him. Mm, yeah, and he goes and gets a can of gasoline, pours it on it, sets it on fire. Yeah. That's what I'd do if I saw my doppelganger. There could be only one motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I think is interesting is when you go back to that opening scene, mm-hmm. and you may miss it because you, you just—it seems like incidental conversation that doesn't matter. But when they're discussing doppelgangers, what um, Hayasaka says is that often it's thought that when you see your doppelganger, that's like a premonition of your death. Yep. So that was an interesting callback. Mm-hmm. I thought. I mean, that's why you kill it with, with fire. fire. Apparently, <laughs> yeah, he sets the thing on fire. It doesn't move. It doesn't talk. It doesn't do anything. It's just there and burns. Okay, what's with that doll thing? The doll. 
in the room where uh, the girl died. He's sitting there, and then this like doll-looking thing with the green dress, like the girl, comes out. I mean, it's obviously a doll, and he's hitting it. Yeah. What? What's going on there? I think that's just him losing his cool. So was it like a haunted thing? Was the ghost making the doll move? I think you could read it that way if you wanted. Well, how would you read it? I actually have another interpretation of this film. I don't know how much of this is actually supernatural. We'll get into that. See, I was going to go that way too, but I'm... I think, okay, we'll talk about that when we get there. <laughs> um, yeah, so they start losing their shit. They, they can't take the haunting. The guilt's building up. And eventually the police turn up again. Uh-huh. Wanting to talk to them. Being very pointed in their questions about uh, what they're asking Junko. Yeah. And it's interesting because like Junko's at the table with the detective, and then Koji's kind of sitting off to the side, mm-hmm. and his his face, like the look he has, is just like defeat. Yeah, defeat. it's like he knows the game. He, he knows up. it's over. And she's trying to do this fake seance thing. And yeah, she starts trying to do the fake seance, the mediumship stuff. Yeah, channeling the girl, saying she's in the ground. And yeah, because we see the cops find the body. Yeah, and they mention that she died recently and they've had the guy you know in custody for a few days now so he couldn't have done it and then she starts trying to weave a tail and then koji just kind of snaps and says it's over yeah <laughs> give it up it's over <laughs> of course we, there were also before that there was that creepy scene with him at work oh yeah and the case was behind him and opened up and the girl comes out that was very like, effective all rotted looking and, i liked it too where it's like he's there and everyone's there working, and then he goes in that sound booth, and it kind of pans, mm-hmm. and then you see from within the sound booth out, and there's no one out there yeah. anymore. They just all, like, all sudden, vanished. Yeah. yeah, all very subtle, all very spooky. Yep. Um, That's pretty much where it ends. Yeah, it ends like right in that moment of the revelation of the cops know and they've been caught. Mm-hmm. We don't really get to see the fallout of everything. And then, isn't there a bit of wrap up too with like the professor and the grad student? Don't they talk a little bit more, I think? No, that's where it ends. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Was, there was a line I liked, and now I don't remember the scene where it came from. Was it when the um, inspector's talking to the professor? I, that's what it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they say, uh, does hell exist? It does if you think it does. It doesn't if you think it doesn't. Because hmm. I think that says a lot to like the guilt they were going through right. and what was happening. Right. So, okay. that, so that's the film. I think it's, it's a very simple plot. It is. But that's okay because it's well, sure, simple can be great. Well. Yeah. Okay, uh, so uh, things we should talk about. What do we need to talk about here? Um, first thing we should talk about, I think, is the novel, just for some context and for some some fun. Okay. How close is this to the original novel? There's actually quite a few deviations, and I think that's clear when you look at like what Kurosawa himself said about like, oh, the other film, it was spot on to the novel, mm-hmm. and then he kind of took it in a different direction. Um, so this is like real, real quick rundown on like differences. So in the original, the husband has an extreme case of asthma and can't work. And instead he's an assistant to his wife and for the seances. And that's the only money that they're getting in. That's interesting. That makes their situation a bit yeah, more desperate. Yeah. Um, there's an additional subplot with the wife where one of the spirits she regularly channels is supposed to be her lover. Um, they had a child and it died in birth uh-huh. and she channels up the child. And that's like a, one of her spirits that she consults to help her. Hmm. That also would bring into why she would want to keep the child as well. So uh, in the novel, another big thing is that the way this whole kidnapping plot, it's actually kind of simpler in a way in the novel and that it involves less people. The wife comes up with the idea 
and convinces the husband to go and abduct the daughter of a wealthy couple. Yeah. Oh, so they actually do the abducting. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they stage it as a thing that we're going to get ransom money and it'll improve her credibility as a medium. Damn. So they, they are straight up yeah, they're bad. Yeah, straight this. up bad. Okay. They abduct the girl and then the wife pretends to be a nurse to the girl mm. and says that she's sick and they're going to be taking care of her for a little bit and then they'll let her go back home. And that's kind of their cover story for everything. Okay. Um, however, as they do this whole ruse, the girl starts becoming sick. Like literally she gets sick. Oops. And it's pretty severe, and so the husband wants to take her to a doctor, and that they start to fight and have a rift. And the in the novel, it kind of builds up that the wife is like slowly sort of losing her grip, and eventually she comes to this conclusion that their uh, child that she channels wants the little girl to be its fr- his friend, and like she forever tr- friend, yeah, forever yeah, friend. Okay. And she tries to get the husband to kill her. Damn, so it, it sounds pretty cool. It ramps up, um, and he kind of takes her out into the woods, and you don't really know what's happening. Uh, and then eventually the police show up. They want her to have a seance to find the girl. And then during the seance, she seems to get possessed and starts confessing everything. Mm-hmm. And it leaves you with that weird question of like, was she possessed or was it just the guilt? Right. Um, and in the end, you find out that the husband couldn't bring himself to kill the girl. And he had just like left her out in the woods where they were hiding the ransom money. And so the police are able to go and pick her up and she's safe. Well, that's nice. But of course, they are caught in their crime. Right. Interesting. I want to watch that movie now. It's quite different in its execution, notably in that, like, the supernatural side is, like, completely subtle the whole way through. Mm -hmm. There's no, like, overt hauntings or anything. It's all all coming from the wife. Also, with with a novel, the whole, you know, unreliable narrator thing is easier to do than it is with a movie. Mm -hmm. So I think the big difference is the fact that in the novel, they are, like, the engineers of their own downfall. And in the film, it's like, at first they're victims of circumstance. But mm-hmm. then in that moment, they make a lot of bad ideas and bad decisions. Oh, yeah. That plunge them <laughs> plunge them over the edge and into the depths. Yeah. I almost kind of wish you hadn't have told me oh, about yeah? the novel, though. Do you think that, uh, Why? in contrast, the novel's maybe stronger? Yeah. An idea? I yeah. do, too. Yeah. If I hadn't have known that, mm. now I'm like... I want to see that. <laughs> oh, but the the original movie based on it, Seance on a Wet Afternoon, is streaming on HBO Max. Interesting. Oh, so pair that up. I'm going to watch that. But no, it just kind of like, Seance goes in a lot of weird directions mm. that don't always feel coherent. And I don't always understand, like I told you that I was like, why are you doing that? Like, just, why are, why is this going here? Like, why is why is this part of the story? And... I don't know. It almost feels like sometimes it's two different movies. Hmm. Like, like multiple people had input as to what they wanted this movie to be. And it was never one thing. Does that make sense? Hmm. I guess I can see that. I think it's pretty, pretty coherent. Yeah. I think you're wrong, Michael. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And there it is. Uh, and it would not work better as a play either. <laughs> Do you guys think this movie would work better as a play? I actually think this would be a good one as a play. Yeah, actually, to be honest, be. Oh, fuck you both. <laughs> got a small, small, small cast, minimal locations, yeah. lot, a lot of drama, a lot of like heady mm-hmm. stuff going on. A brimstone would have worked as a fucking play. <laughs> no, hard disagree. <laughs> God damn, I hate you all. <laughs> um, the other thing I think we really need to talk about is Junko really a medium? I watched it 
one and a half times. I watched it again to kind of go through and look at some of the important parts, mm. looking to see if it was mostly from her point of view. Mm-hmm. And you could argue that, you could argue that because okay, let's say that Junko, because she's the only one who's seeing this stuff. She's the mm-hmm. she's the only psychic. Um, quotation marks. I'm making wildly in the air. <laughs> um, and Koji does see things eventually, mm-hmm. but is that just his guilt? Is that just everything? See, that was my thing because he never sees anything until the girl dies. Right before that point, the only time we see anything supernatural with him, there's the audio on the tape, which, which he, someone else does listen to, but he, it could be some sort of interference. He himself brushes off. And then when he comes home the one time, we see the cold breath. Right. Which, of course, we know in supernatural situations, a lot of times with ghosts and spirits, they think that, like, cold air. Cold spots and all that stuff. Cold spots happen. So, I mean, that's pretty... I don't think that's up to interpretation. I I do... So... Maybe it was really cold in that room. I don't know. (laughs) So, I do think... It's obvious that she saw things because she did see whatever... Whoever was there with the businessman. Mm -hmm. So... Or is she just that? Or was that person actually there? Well, so a slight personal anecdote that is that made me think about this. Are you about to tell us that you're psychic? Uh oh. (laughs) (laughs) I I know this lady who when I met her, she had said some things about my grandfather who'd passed Mm -hmm. that she shouldn't know because she didn't know me and she didn't know my family at Mm -hmm. all. Like from Adam and she said and and I was like how do you know that mm-hmm. and she was like she just got kind of weird and she was like oh oh she's like well, did he like to drink coffee a lot and I was like yeah but that's like something that a lot of old people would do and she's like typically yeah but she's like well she's like I, I saw a guy over here like we were in my grandparents house and she said I saw a guy who was sitting in this room drinking coffee and smoking a cigarette and watching TV. And I was like, the fuck? Because, mm-hmm. and the room that she pointed to used to be the den that my grandfather sat and drank coffee, smoked cigarettes, and watched TV. And it hadn't been that den in years. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it was actually my house that I lived in. They had not lived there. So, come to talk to her, she saw things. But she never pursued that. Like she never she, tried to monetize it. Like exactly, Zuko. she accepted, <laughs> and she told me that she accepted that she's just sees things that other people don't, and that sometimes those things give her like warning. Maybe she should not be in this situation, but she never she refused to talk about it with people. Mm-hmm. Like she would say things that were comforting, you know, like. For me, when she was like, no, 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 your grandfather has seen, like, his presence is still here. You know, like, mm-hmm. I still feel it, and it feels it feels fine. It feels comforting. Whether that's what she felt or not, I don't know. But that's all she said. It was never like, I can speak to him or anything like that. Right. For 50 bucks, so. <laughs> yeah. You know, it so, gets into another interesting area of paranormal stuff with, like, the stone tape theory. Or that idea that, like the stuff you do can leave like an impression on a place and almost replay like a tape or something. Mm -hmm. And which was really interesting, just the way she perceived things. So it makes, it kind of made me think like I've known people who've said like, yeah, I've seen things and it seemed weird and I'm not sure if I saw it. Mm -hmm. 
And so it makes me think that maybe this character is the type that she does those things. She is either blessed or cursed, however you want to look at it, to where she sees things that other people don't, and she decided to take it in a direction where she could exploit it. I think that exploitation is why I have a hard time fully buying into, like, she's just this, like, bomb-ass psychic that can notice everything. Right, like... Because she's got this boring life, she's clearly not happy with it, she's bored... And maybe this is her one thing. Mm-hmm. Like the one thing that maybe she's always had in her life that she sees things associated with people and she thinks, well, this is how I'm going to do better. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- that may be a stretch, but, and I probably went far away from my original anecdote from that. But it kind <laughs> of, but those two kind of played together for me. Like, sure. That this person that I knew, she saw these things and was like, well, I just don't really talk about them, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think that's for me. I'm much more inclined to believe that than the people that do, like, the room readings oh, and yeah, charge, yeah. like, a hundred bucks yeah. a ticket. Right. And and the only reason, like, that I even slightly believe this lady is because the things she said in passing, I'm like, the fuck do you know that? Like, mm-hmm. that is something very personal. Like, I'm not going to share what she said, but, like, mm-hmm. that's something very personal that I just now met you. Mm-hmm. And you just met us. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you shouldn't fucking know that. And it was almost like when she said it, she was like, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, and it's when you oops. have stuff like that that it really is sort of like meaningful confirmation in a way because that's the sort of stuff that like you couldn't cold read that out of a person yeah. in conversation. And, it, and I think it turns as to how she how she continued her relationship with me. It was no longer like, didn't matter what questions I asked. Like, no, we're not talking about that. Like, mm-hmm. that what she saw was what she saw and that's what she read and that's we're done. Like not going to exploit you anymore. But I think in this situation, like it was almost like her exploitation led to their downfall. Mm-hmm. What is she saying about all those bodies underneath your house? That's none of your goddamn business <laughs> and none of hers. <laughs> so no. Oh, okay. But yeah. I think if she's smart, she fucking won't. <laughs> <laughs> I think ultimately you can read it either way. And there's a lot it, to it support. It can go either way. Yeah. And I think that's one of the strengths of the film is that it teases both but it really leaves it up to you. I don't think that the film was about supernatural. Like, no, it's a plot point, mm-hmm. but I don't think that's what you're supposed to take away from it at all. I think it was, I, I think the issue is that they took a really good story mm-hmm. and then tried to fit it into the J horror mold. I think, I think it still works though. I mean, it's still, it's, I think it's still like a good story and a good movie. The original novel might be a little bit more compelling in certain ways. I, but we'll get to this, but honestly, I was just bored. Well, we can get into it now. Oh, yeah, I think we're... Do we have any other fun things to toss out? Any notes? I'm good. I just want to reiterate that Sweet Home needs a freaking Blu-ray release. It does, please. Jason, the quicker you understand that the studio executives know what's best for us... <laughs> right. And if you would just stop trying to impose your will on them... You're right. The billionaires just need to tell us what... You're right. They need to take care of us. I'm glad that you've... That this is a intervention... <laughs> <laughs> that we're having with the people who listen to this show. Uh-huh. Oh, I've got some things. Okay. <laughs> Forget all that bullshit. <laughs> Just um, shut the fuck up, Michael. I'm busy. There's another thing that Kurosawa said. He was asked about like what it was like making a TV film in comparison to working on like a full theatrical feature. And he said that it didn't really feel that different to him as far as like what his style is. There wasn't a lot about his style and the way he likes to do things that was like restricted. Mm-hmm. Um, he said the only thing was is that he knew he couldn't use very shocking scenes. 
he said, there can't be a lot of people dying because that's not allowed on television. It has to be more quiet, but yet still have that impact. That's bizarre, because I've seen some Japanese television, and it could be pretty crazy. I mean, I guess it's not... It could depend on the time slot, too, like when it aired. And the network. And the network, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I don't no, know. I think, I think it's like Europe, too, because you can get away with more sex on TV than you can with violence. Um, also, it was shot in two weeks. Uh, he, short. he described it as having a lower budget. The estimation is 200000 to $300,000. Wow, that's nothing. Even in 2000, that's like nothing. Mm-hmm. But what it, what would you need it for? You know, like, everything's simple yeah. about this movie. You mm-hmm. don't. And that, that's one of the reasons I think it works, is that it fits for that budget perfectly. It gets back to what we've talked about time and again, that, like, when you have a low budget, if you know what you're doing and you shoot for that... Yeah, stay within it, you know... You can make an incredible film for not a lot of money. Right. Okay, we can do final thoughts now. Final thoughts. Do we want Michael to go first? Because I don't think he liked it that much. Uh, Let's sandwich him. I'll go first. Okay. Because I picked it. I love Kiyoshi Kurosawa. I had never seen this. I'd always wanted to, and this seemed like a good excuse to get into it. Sure. Uh, I really wish it had some kind of release. I hate that it's sort of like floating out there as lost media right now. Yeah. Um. It would be great in like a Kiyoshi Kurosawa box set. Sure a of, would. A lot of his stuff uh, doesn't have a release, so hit them all together. Um, I do want to see that other film and look a little bit more at the novel because I do think there's some compelling, interesting ideas there. Mm-hmm. I love what this is doing. I love that it's merging those J-horror elements and that those may either be there or that's just like a symptom of a more psychological thing going on. Um, and it does. It plays in that gray area of like things aren't super defined and is left open for you. And I really dig that. And I always dig stuff that looks at like paranormal topics like this. Um, I almost wish there was a little more with the whole like professor grad student angle. Yeah. In a way, mm-hmm. I'd say it's definitely not his best no. because when you look at his like great films like Cure and Pulse, those are on such a level that's like oh, it just yeah. blows you away. So I am pretty confident sitting at like four stars on this one because I really liked it. Okay. Nice, Michael. So the two versions that I had to choose from to watch this there was a soft subbed version mm-hmm. that had higher video quality mm-hmm. uh but lower sub quality when which we found out the subs went out of sync yeah they, they start trailing by about like a whole line after a while or i had the hard subbed version which was poorer video quality and it was pretty poor video quality it was about like a vhs tape i went with a good video quality with a decent video quality see i went with the bad video quality better subs Mm. And I think that might have hurt it. Yeah, I think that was a mistake. Because He's completely fucked up. Because <laughs> it's Jesus, even for even just for become straight aggressive now. Even for what it is and like the lower budget and stuff, I do think it's very well shot and there's a lot of oh, great yeah. like frame composition and stuff. Yeah, I love the score to it. The yeah, minimal, the good. I'm glad you brought it up because we hadn't mentioned that yet. The yeah. score is minimal but effective. Mm-hmm. It really hits those moments just right. But overall, I found myself kind of bored hmm. watching it, and I think maybe it's because. The video was so blurry that I was just like watching well, blurry it, people. It doesn't help when you can't see. Yeah. You didn't even know the ghost was blurry because you couldn't tell. Whole, <laughs> everyone was know. blurry. They're all ghosts. Holy shit. I think I just expected something different. Hmm. Is I think my expectations were very different for this film. And then when, when it actually wasn't full-blown J-horror, hmm. which is what I was expecting, I think I was thrown a little bit. And I found myself not really digging the story all that much but then when you read me the other story i'm like that story sounds really good i just wasn't digging i wasn't digging these characters i wasn't digging the way it was playing out 
Hmm. I don't think that means it's a bad movie. I just don't think I dug it as much as others did. So I think I'm going to sit at a three. Okay. Because I think there are a lot of redeeming qualities for it. Mm. And because like you said, I think it is well shot. It's well executed in doing the scares, quote, scares. There's not many, but Mm. they're effective. They're They're effective and creepy. It's well paced too, like for the runtime, I think. It didn't like overstay its welcome. Yeah, I, I will definitely agree with that. So I think three is probably fair for me. Um Okay. Yeah. That's not as harsh as you thought it was going to be, was it? Not at all. No. Jason, you can bring us home. All right. Uh, I dug it. I liked it. It was good. <laughs> That's my in-depth analysis. <laughs> uh, I like movies. I wish it was a little scarier, mm, but... Yeah. I mean, I'll say that about most every horror film, right? <laughs> I mean, that's so subjective. But it also goes to what Kurosawa said about how he couldn't really do too much shocking stuff or right. anything. Um, yeah, having heard the synopsis of the, of the novel, that sounds like a more intriguing story. But judging this on what it was, I did like it. I wasn't bored. Um, <laughs> I love the side eye you gave Michael. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's just straight fucking aggressive right now. He's he's bouncing between passive aggressive and aggressive. Uh, yeah. And I wish you'd just fucking pick one. <laughs> um, I would give it three and a half stars. <laughs> I was pretty close. Okay. Yeah, because it's it's good, but it, it's probably not, it's not something I would pick up on blue. Let's put it that way. You know, but I'm I'm definitely happy I watched it. And I would, I'll probably visit it again in like 10 years or something. Mm. You know? You think you're going to live that long? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> it, I did come away thinking of a simple plan a yeah, lot. Yeah, it, it did be, remind me a lot of a simple yeah, plan. Sam yeah. Raimi's film. I'm glad you brought that up. That's another good, uh, like, linking thing to mm-hmm. connect. It's just a bunch of bad choices. And it's people who are, like, in a life they don't really like, but then they're stuck with it. I love films like that too, where you just have these cascading, yeah, bad choices, cascading that you system build. failures. Yeah. You know? um, so I mean, I definitely recommend it. It is out there. It's not too hard to find. You no. know, it's if you like J horror, if you like Kurosawa, yeah, it, it, it's it's also a good one to start with. I think because it's like if you're not so sure about the whole J horror thing, you don't want to jump in the deep end. It's a nice kind of safe, yeah, safe one to start with. I agree. If you were scared of cat like Michael used to be. I still am. I don't, <laughs> I don't make any bones about it. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, that's Seance, and that's it for our made-for-TV movies. Ooh. I'm sure we'll revisit one day. There's oh, yeah. More. There's so many more out there to watch. Uh, next up, we're going to do another listener episode. These are my favorite. Kind They're always my favorite. Get chill. Just relax. Uh, we have all these from Cliffy, and I mentioned them this episode, so... I think we're going to do one of his films. Yeah, Cliffy. Michael, you did a lot of research for us today. Figuring really, out, it was like 10 minutes. Figuring out where these movies it are. It was a lot. He sent me, like, the message he sent, I was like, that's some great research, my dude. And I'm like... I looked at uh, Just Watch. I, <laughs> dude, just take the fucking compliment. I can't. Man. You can't, I can't do it. I can't. Holy shit. Yeah. I can't do it. Um, so based on the results of that, we are going to be checking out Let the Bullets Fly from 2010, directed by Zhang Wen. It's uh, Chai on Fat. Mm-hmm. My boy. It was way stupider than it should have been. <laughs> My boy. Uh, no, Cliffy did give us a couple um, uh, really good recommendations mm. to watch. One of them I've actually already done as my what we've been watching. So maybe we'll get to that like so further down the road. Potentially, it's pretty 
fresh for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other one he mentioned, I really, really want to see, but it's hard to track down right now. So we ch- also chose this one because it's very, very easy to find. It's uh, it's on Amazon Prime, right? Yeah, and we found out it's on Tubi as well. Right, so you got two options there. So yep. if you don't have Prime and don't want to pay for it, if totally cheapskate, cool. just uh, go with Tubi. <laughs> just get ready for those ads. <laughs> yeah, I get the ads. Tubi's oh, awesome, man. I don't even, care. I didn't even think. Like, I wonder how Tubi. Do they have good dubs? I've never watched anything or subs. I have. Yeah, that's good. Okay, yeah. I've never watched anything foreign on their side. I've watched sure a few uh, Japanese things on there, and yeah, they. They have the subtitles and everything. Good. Okay. And they seem to be pretty good with your limited Japanese knowledge. Yes. I mean, you can actually not pay attention to something and still kind of <laughs> yeah. halfway know what's going on <laughs> with as much Japanese stuff as you watch. Uh, yeah, really basic phrases. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm super excited about the next one. Uh, I always love the listener episodes because it is a chance for us to engage with everybody who listens, all five of you. <laughs> And, and please, and please keep sending us movies. Thank you, each and every one, for listening to us. Yes, we, we appreciate it so much. Yeah, and uh, like Dustin said, like if you've listened and just thought about, like, oh, maybe these guys should watch this, please, please shoot us a message, even if it's one line. You don't have to, like, send yeah, us no a hesitation. well thought out anything. Yeah. Just, just send us a line of a movie. Even if it's pornography, we'll just have Jason watch it and give us a, a rundown. It will be fair and balanced. <laughs> <laughs> As all things should be. <laughs> So yeah, as always, please continue to write, connect with us. You can do it on all of your favorite social media platforms. Uh, Twitter seems to be the favorite of everybody, which mm-hmm. is totally fine. Um, I don't Until know Elon Musk buys it. As long as it lasts. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't know how it works. Um, but yeah, Dustin knows that as well. Uh, we should be having some more content up on our website. One day. One day. There's a lot of when life When my work situation settles. There's a can, lot of life shit happening yeah, there's right now. I can crank happening. some stuff out. I got a bunch of stuff in the works. It's just the time to finish it. We'll get there. Um, so I'm exci- I'm really excited for that avenue that we have. Because mm. um, it gives us an opportunity to kind of write about things that we're passionate about that may not necessarily be episode worthy. Con- yeah. Episode worthy or episode content. You know, you can explore a few mm. different things. So... Uh, as always, please continue to write us, follow us on all your favorite socials, and until next time, you've been listening to Genre Exposure. Bye, everyone. Take care. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening